want to make mention of one of the things coming up uh, on April the 2nd, next Sunday. We'll be observing supper. One thing, well, what I want to do Sunday morning is next week is bring a message about preparation for the Lord's Supper. You know, we're not supposed to just casually participate in that service without any thought uh, about what it represents. And Paul gives us uh, direction we'll look at next week about preparation for the Lord's Supper. I'm supposed to prepare myself before I ever even participate in it. As a pastor or as, as, a, as a church member, as a lay person, we have certain things that we need to do. I'm going to go ahead and tell you something you can do now and during the coming week. Uh, and, and, you know, I really take this seriously because God, you know, we, we have commands in Scripture that uh, they're not just suggestions. We need to take this seriously, seriously. One of the things that we're supposed to do, and I would encourage you to do this, during the coming week, wait to do it. If you have something against a Christian brother or sister, you need to make it right between now and, and next Sunday before you take the Lord's Supper. You need to call them up and or visit them or do whatever you have to do to say, you know, we have a, a problem. We want to settle it, you know, because we're Christian brethren and we love one another. And before I take of the Lord's table, I need to make sure that my relationships with the brethren are what they ought to be, okay? So I would encourage you to do that, and we'll look specifically at that in Scripture next week. You may say, well, preacher, you're just saying that. You know, well, no, it's in the Bible, okay? It's there. You know, I think as I read the Bible more each day, uh, I, I am just amazed at what it says, what's actually written in Scripture. Um, I, uh, as I, as I share with some of you in my own personal Bible reading, I read, uh, just recently I've done uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, and then there are two books that go with Nehemiah and Ezra that you may not be aware of, but it's actually mentioned in Ezra, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. Well, I finished Haggai because it's only three chapters long, didn't take but one day to finish it and I was done, but, but then Zechariah, and, and it's powerful, every word of all those books is very powerful. Verse of chapter two, it, it talks about God rising to do something really great. You know? And I looked at that and I thought, what is God going to do next in our lives, in our in our nation, uh, in our families, in our church? What is God about to do? You know, and if you think about that and you look at, at what He's already done, are you ready? Are you ready for what God's getting ready to do? You know, um, there, there's a lot of ideas out there. People have different ideas. And, and you know, we really don't know other than just some, some basic things. But, but God is an active God. He, uh, Scott made mention in our men's Sunday school class that uh, there used to be, and I guess there still are, a group of Christians that were called deists. They're not really Christians, but they were called deists. And what they believed was that God made the heavens and the earth and it wound it up like a clock and set it off to run itself. And after that, he's pretty much uninvolved. You might be surprised to know that a lot of our founding fathers in America were deists. That's what they believed. And they started our nation with that belief that God wound it up and set it off and now you're on your own. I don't believe that. I don't accept that. I believe we have a personal, sovereign God who is 
you know, we're, we're part of his creation and he's with us. There's never a time that he's not with us. He's active in our lives. He has a, a plan for our lives. He actually does. He has a plan for this world. And the ultimate plan is to bring glory to him. And this doesn't even have anything to do with the sermon that I'm bringing this morning. Other than the fact that I think the Lord just led me to share it. Uh, God's active in our lives all the time. Don't ever forget that. When, when you leave this place today, understand that God's going with you. You're not by yourself. Uh, and whatever you face in life, remember that he, he is there. Uh, and, and whatever we face in the coming week, who knows what will happen in our world. Um, don't ever forget God's there. Okay, um, Turn with me, if you would. We'll start in Luke 19. And I want to ask a question. And, and if you bring your Bible, I would encourage you to use one of the pew Bibles because we're going to look at several verses this morning. Um, I uh, so, Somebody asked me one time, said, Preacher, why did... Why don't you just get one verse and stick with it like a lot of, a lot of fellas do? And, and I guess I could do that every now and then, but I believe that, that if, if, uh, if I'm going to be faithful, I have to share with you what God said, not what I think. And so we're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning. We're going to ask the question as we look at the Scriptures, why the cross? Why did Jesus die, have to die on a cross? Now, you know, Easter is just two weeks away. We'll be celebrating the resurrection. We as believers celebrate the resurrection every day and every minute of our life, right? Uh, at Easter, that's a day when the church, you know, the church focuses on Easter. You see the banners? There's more banners that are going to go up between now and then. There's some things going to be put up outside. Uh, on, and you just look for those. And Leah and I have been talking about how, you know, we decorate at Christmas time. We decorate the whole church. My goodness, why are we not doing that for Easter? That's an even bigger day when you think about it. And um, we celebrate the resurrection just all the time. That's the world is going to, should be hearing about it on Easter Sunday. They should be hearing about it all the time. But, but anyway, Easter's coming up to remind us of this. And we have to ask ourselves a question before we talk about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He did die. And he died a most terrible death, possibly the, the worst, most terrible form of crucifixion or, or of execution that you can imagine to hang on a cross. I watched a video last night at home that I found a, a medical description of the crucifixion, medically what happened to Jesus when he was dying. It's devastating to think about the things that he went through before and up to that moment of death on a cross. You, you know, we can't really even imagine. We've seen, you know, movies about the crucifixion and stuff like that, and that really just begins to show us the detail of everything that was going on. When, when a doctor explains what he felt physically as all of that was going on, terrible but but why did God choose to send his son to die on the cross could have died anyway why did he choose him to die in the first place why did he send him to die at all well there's answers in the Bible that that we have that help us understand and I think if we understand why he came to die on the cross number one if you're a Christian maybe we'll appreciate our salvation a little more when we realize what was done to provide it. 
And if you're not a Christian, you hear the good news, that there is a God who loves you so much that he sent his only son for you to die for our sins, the Bible says. Preacher, you say that every week. Well, I'm going to keep doing that, okay? Uh, because that's the heart of what we believe, isn't it? Look here in, in Luke um, 19, very familiar story. And this just begins to tell us, and then we're going to uh, look at some other scripture uh, as we go through the service. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was chief and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully, but when they saw it, uh, they all complained, saying, He is gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've, given, if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to the house, because he also is the son of Abraham. And here it is, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. That's why he came in the first place. He came to restore what had been lost. He came to seek out those who had been lost and restore them to a right relationship with the Father. Now, what was lost? We were lost way back in the garden. And we're going to look at that in just a moment, but, but we were lost way in the garden when Adam sinned and that lostness that sin passed from one generation to the next until it gets down to us Jesus and when we were lost we lost that relationship we had with God that fellowship that we should have had with God and Jesus said I came back to restore that I came to seek out and save that which was lost that would be you that would be Zacchaeus. Now let's think about Zacchaeus, who he is. The Bible says that, that he was a rich man, but how did he get rich? Well, he was a tax collector. And tax collectors in those days were a little different than tax collectors today. These were some of the most evil people around. A tax collector in Judaism, the way the Romans did it, when they would go and conquer a country and begin to, to collect taxes from their conquered uh, people, they would place tax collectors from among those people. So in other words, when they came to Israel and they took over that land, they chose Jews to be the tax collectors, not Romans. They chose Jews to do it. And could you imagine how a Jew would feel about another Jew who, has, who is now collecting taxes from me to give to them? Well, I'm going to be angry. I'm not going to be happy. And if that's not bad enough, the way they divided it up, there would be a chief tax collector. And then he would be over a district. And he would divide that district up into smaller areas. And there would be other tax collectors assigned to each area. And the point was that after they collected taxes, every tax collector all the way up to Rome got a cut. They got a piece of the action. That's how Zacchaeus became rich. He was in that hierarchy there. 
but it's legal to give to their enemies and take in a piece of the action on the way. No wonder they hated him. How could Jesus go into the home of this man? He's a sinner. That's the, that was their understanding and their uh, feeling about Zacchaeus or anybody like him. In fact, the Jew would have killed Zacchaeus if he'd have had the opportunity to do it. And we thought that he was serving his people if he did that and even serving God. They hated the tax collectors. Well, Jesus is coming through town and Zacchaeus hears about it. And Zacchaeus physically, the Bible tells us he was a short man and he climbed up in a tree. You remember that little song we used to sing in Sunday school? Okay. I, and I remember one year in vacation Bible school, we ones that were here in, in Bible school. And I remember when I was little in Sunday school singing that little song. And they, they, but Zacchaeus climbs up in the tree because he wanted to see Jesus. I'm about to quote the song here, but, but anyway, he wanted to, he wanted to see Jesus and Jesus is coming. And if you've ever seen a story or in a, in a movie or something, this story played out, the people started to laugh, you know, Zacchaeus and Jesus said, come down out of the tree. He personally called Zacchaeus. Now, there's just a few people in Scripture that Jesus actually called their name and personally called them. There are some times when Jesus preached just a group of people, maybe the disciples, or to a larger crowd, maybe in the temple or something like that. But this is one of those times when Jesus called a name. Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. We think, you know, Zacchaeus, we think like he does. He's up in the tree and he's watching Jesus. He doesn't think that Jesus is watching him. Now, did you get that? Jesus was watching him, and he's watching you. You know, I can, I can go about my life through anything that I'm going to face in life, good, bad, or, or in between, with the assurance that I'm never alone. I'm never, ever alone. Um, and and I can, can trust God completely. I, I was reading... A book about God's by a man that lived in the 1600s. His name was Stephen Charnock. He was a Puritan minister, and he um, he said he just teaches in this book that we should always remember that God is always with us, always, wherever we go. So he got lessons. This book's divided up into several lessons tells us that what the Bible says, that the eyes of God are going to and fro in the world all the time watching. There's never, and it's just the idea that God's always watching you. You're his child. He's looking, he's aware of what you're facing in life. Sometimes life gets pretty hard, doesn't it? Sometimes we face great struggles, great challenges in life, and we wonder what in the world is going to happen. I know in our society today with the things that we're facing with the economy and, and morality and everything else that's going on, it, it's easy to get consumed by all of that. What are we facing? Well, here, here's one thing that I do know. I, I don't know what the economy is going to do tomorrow, and I don't know what next moral failure people are going to commit. I don't know. I mean, that seems to be a downhill slide, doesn't it? I don't know what people are going to do. I don't know where we are going as a society. I, I can easily get worried. How about you? Here's one thing I know. God is sovereign. Nothing's going to happen out of here. Okay. So what does that mean for me as a believer? You trust the Lord. He's got his eyes on you. 
you're his child, he is not going to let you go. He's got you. So trust him. Zacchaeus come down out of the tree. Jesus saw him. And he says, I'm going to eat in your house today. Now, just that very statement fired people up, okay? Because remember who Zacchaeus is. He's a tax collector. And he may have been one of those chief tax collectors because of this description about the wealth that he had and everything. I'm going to your house today. It, it would be to us, I, I, I don't know that I can make a, a comparison today in our society, but it would be like Jesus if he came here today finding the worst person in the state and said, I'm going to your house to eat today. Everybody else will be highly offended, you know? What, what about me? I'm way better than him. Why are you going to? I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. He, he had a plan. I'm going to your house. And he goes there and he has a meal with Zacchaeus. And mealtime, even today, you know, one of the things that I enjoy, uh, that I do with people that I really care about is I enjoy a meal with them. It's a very intimate time. It's a very special time where I can sit down and I like to eat anyway, but I can sit down and, and with a person that I that I really care about and have a meal, and you have that relationship with them during that time. It was this way here. You went and had a meal, especially when somebody's with people you really cared about. Jesus says, I'm going to your house to have a meal today, to eat today. Now, what is he saying to Zacchaeus? He's saying, you know, I care about you. I care because if I didn't care, I wouldn't go to your house. I care. Do you get it? He cares. He, he really does. You know, and don't, we say that sometimes so casually, they don't even think about the reality of it. Our Lord cares about you. He cares. I'm going to your house today, Zacchaeus, to eat. And he goes, and Zacchaeus, just through the meeting with the Lord and whatever the Lord had to say to him while he was there, was just he's transformed. He, he got saved. He's changed. He's a new man. He's been, I don't know, born again. Just by spending some time with Jesus who let him know, I care about you. I care enough to come to your home. And that's a really big deal. A really big deal. In fact, he's changed so much. He said, uh, he said if I have uh, taken anything from anyone, I give, first, I give half of everything I own to the poor. So he was very wealthy. This is a substantial amount of money. I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. And if I've got enough money left over, if I cheated anybody, I'm going to give it back to them fourfold. So if I took a dollar from them, I give back four. If I took a hundred, I give back four hundred. He's got enough to do that. But do you see what's happened? This is a transformation in a man's life. This, this man has lived the life of a a dishonest man who had no honor at all and he says now he's changed and I'm going to give half of all that I possess to the poor and four times what I ever cheated anybody out of I'll give it back to them that's a complete transformation you know it's something for us to get a hold of if a person is really saved a person is not really saved because they walk an aisle in a church and shake the preacher's hand and maybe get baptized. That's not what saves them. That's not really even a sign that anything happened. The sign that somebody has really been born again is they have changed, transformed life. 
Everything has changed. They're no longer what they used to be. Zacchaeus is no longer that tax cheat, that man that cheated people with these, these evil taxes, taking things away from them and then taking a piece of it for himself. He's no longer that man. In fact, he's going to take care of all of that and restore it to the people he cheated. He's no longer that man. He's had a complete change in his life. And I want to ask you something today. Now, now we should judge ourselves, our own selves, every day. I do that every day, every minute of every day. I'm asking myself, am, am, you know, where do I need to fix something? Do I have a sin I need to repent of? Is there something I need to be doing better or doing more as I, as I serve the Lord in my relationship with the Lord? We need to always be doing that. But I need to ask this big question. Am I the same person that I was before salvation, or am I a new man? Am I a different person? Have I been changed? Because that's what regeneration is all about. A dead person was made alive. That's a big change. That's a big change. Zacchaeus has been changed because Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. In Matthew one you'll remember this. The angel is speaking to Mary. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. An angel said it before he was ever born. This is why he's coming, to save his people from their sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, that God made him to be sin, he who knew no sin, to be sin for us. God made him into my sin. As bad as it is, God put that on. He didn't just put it on Jesus. He made Jesus that sin so that when God's wrath was poured out, it was poured his son and stood on me, made him to be sin. Why did it have to be on a cross? Well, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. There's a tree in the garden. You know this story, but we really have to go through this very quickly. There's a tree in the garden. God has placed Adam in the garden before Eve is even, even made. We talked about that. He's in the garden, and God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You cannot eat from that tree. For on the day you eat from it, you will surely die. And yet Adam... His wife first ate from that tree, and then he ate it when she gave it to him, ate from that tree, and as we said before, they did not physically die at that moment, although that will come later, but they did spiritually die at that very second. They died spiritually. Their relationship with the Father ended right there. They were dead in sin at that second when they did that. On that day, they surely died because of a tree. They ate from a tree. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 21. For the Jews, later on, uh, and we're going to look over in verse 22 in a moment, but for the Jews, when Jesus is here, for him to to make the statement, for statements like, he will save his people from their sins, and I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Those statements were scandalous. But a greater scandal later after the resurrection, when Peter and, and John and Paul and the apostles went out and began preaching to the world, 
that he died on a cross to save us, that was even more scandalous. And this is why the Jews could never accept Jesus for the most part. There were some that were saved, but for the most part, they never, even up until today, never have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, as the biblical Messiah, as the Savior. Because it's a scandal to think that my Savior would die on the cross. Let's remember how the sin problem started in the first place. Adam went to a tree and removed that he was not supposed to eat from and took that fruit and ate it. Okay? That's where it started. In Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree or you crucify him, okay? If you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you. He who is hanged is cursed of God. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. When he is crucified, he became sin for us. He said that. He became sin for us. He's put through a death that declares that God has cursed him. And you remember the rush, even though Passover was coming the next day, there was an even bigger reason to get Jesus off of that cross by sundown because what we just read here. He has to come down before sundown. It said, it says, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall bury him that day. That day will bury him so that you do not defile the land. In other words, if we leave him on the cross, his curse will come on us. Well, no, their, their curse was removed and put on him. It was exactly the reverse. But they took him down and they buried him before the end of the day. He was put through a death that declares God has cursed him. Why did it have to be a cross? Because if it wasn't a cross, you couldn't have been saved. That's it. If it was not a cross, you could not go to heaven. If it was not Because God had to make him to be sin for us. And you know, the way to do that was to put him through a death that declared he was now my sin. He was cursed by God on the cross. You know, well, you remember when Jesus is on the cross, one of the seven things he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus knew everything that was going to happen, and he knew theologically everything that was going on. But at that moment, the father had rejected and cursed his own son. You know, people say, and then you need to read your Bibles. People need to read their Bibles more. They say, well, at that moment, the father turned his back on the son because he could not look on sin. No, there are several times in the Bible that God looked right at sin and responded. You remember the flood? You know, he saw their sin and, and the flood happened. Uh, there are other times, you remember the, the, burnt, the uh, uh, golden calf at Mount Sinai? You think God didn't see that? He saw it. He saw it and he responded accordingly, correct? There are other times throughout Scripture where God saw someone sin. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba, you think God didn't see it? 
Well, he sent Nathan to declare that he did see it. How about your sin? You think God didn't see it? He's fully aware of it. You see, God saw what Jesus was doing. He looked at it. He saw it the whole time. And here's the point. His wrath was poured out on God against my sin. It was poured out on his son Jesus while he was on the cross. Jesus was cursed by the Father when he was put on a cross. That's why a cross happened. That's why a cross happened. The Father cursed him right there because he's already declared all the way back in Deuteronomy that anybody that's crucified is cursed of God. Okay? The cross happened because of a curse. Three times Jesus declared that he would be crucified. At least three times, okay? And we know that there are many more times he declared that he would be uh, killed, buried, and rise. In fact, that he would rise on the third day. I'll say something about that in a minute. But turn with me to Matthew 16. Scott read this earlier. We're going to look just at one or two verses there. And then look at these three times that Jesus actually declares that he's going to be crucified. That he's going to die. Now, the disciples, first of all, they just could not even accept or understand that when they heard it. Dead? Crucified? You? No, because they saw all the miracles. They saw all the crowds. They saw everything that he was doing. They saw the, the times that he would, would uh, have uh, conflict with the Pharisees and come out victorious. They could not believe that he's going to be killed. Matthew 16, verse 21 he says, Jesus says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. All right? Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said, Go, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, just that powerful statement. This goes on right after the section where Jesus, you remember, he's a Caesarea Philippi with the disciples, and he says, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they all just kind of stand around, don't say anything for a little while, and then you know, one of them says, well, you're one of the prophets, or John the Baptist come back from the dead, or Jeremiah, or Isaiah, one of them, Elijah, come back. You're one of those. And then Peter just speaks up more as you say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And he changed his name from Simon to Peter, the rock. And he says, on this rock, not Peter, like Jesus uses on this rock, your faith, faith like this in me, I'm going to build a church. See, Jesus builds the church not on people but on faith. All right? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And then he turns right around and he says, and I'm going to be betrayed uh, to, the, uh, to the scribes and the priests and be killed and buried. And on the third day I'm going to rise. And Peter says, you just said you're going to build a church. What is this? What is this? And Peter says, you can't do that. that that's not going to happen. You can't die. That, you can't be put to death by anyone. Far be it from you, Lord. This will not happen to you. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, such a strange statement. Get behind me, who? 
Satan. Get behind me. Peter, you're listening to the devil. Hush. You know? Peter's I mean, you're going to build your church on me, and you just call me Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And then he goes on and says, he says, you're an offense to me, Peter. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. You need to be putting your trust in the one that's watching you, Peter. Put your trust in God. But I'm going to be, he tells him, I am going to be, um, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes in Jerusalem, the city of God. I'm going there, and I'm going to be betrayed that crowd, and I'm going to suffer and die. But then he says, and be raised on the third day. You know, it's interesting. He mentioned the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests. He said the the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, these are the people that probably, I kind of think, they probably knew who Jesus was anyway. They just didn't want him to do what he had come to do because they had it too good. They didn't want to lose him. I think that's part of the anger that they had for Jesus because they weren't very good men. They really weren't. But Jesus said, I'm going to be betrayed for that crowd. And die. Then Matthew 17, the next chapter, second time he says, Staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. So just like a day or so later, he tells them, I'm about to be betrayed. And he doesn't say to the scribes and Pharisees or the priests and the the elders this time, he says, I'm about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Now, I want you to think about that. The Son of God is about to be put into the hands of sinful men. That's amazing in itself. But Jesus said, that's about to happen, and then I'm going to be killed. The second time he says that. And and they still don't know all of the, the truth behind this yet. They're about to find out in a little while. But I'm going to be killed and buried. And again, he says, and on the third day, I'm going to rise. Let, let me get something straight. I got in a discussion with somebody. This is extra, okay? I got in a discussion with somebody the other day about this concept of the third day. Let's get it straight. Uh, Jesus was crucified on Good Friday, right? And buried, and then he was in the grave on Saturday and raised on, on Sunday. And this person wanted to argue that Jesus was not in the, in the tomb three full days. Well, it never says in the Bible that he was going to be in the tomb for three full days. It said that he was going to be crucified, buried. what it actually says. It says on the third day, and that's what happened. Okay, so people want to argue about that because that's something that really doesn't make any difference. The point is he was raised. Look over in Matthew 20, just a few more chapters over. Matthew 20, verse 17, and now it gets a little bit more specific. Verse 17, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, and he took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, 
and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage him and to crucify him. And the third day he will rise again. You know Jesus actually said 21 times in the Bible he's going to rise on the third day. Okay, so I think that's what he said. He said, we're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed. That first, that statement alone, he's going to be betrayed. Well, you know, only a friend can betray you. Only someone that's close to you can betray him. And one of his closest friends was the one that did it. But, you know, really, he wasn't the only one. Truth is, all of them did. All of them did. When it came down to it, John was there at the foot of the cross, possibly Peter. None of the rest of them were there. They were hiding somewhere. They were afraid they were going to get the same thing he got. So they were in hiding. He was betrayed. Those who loved him the most turned their back on him at his greatest time of need. They're gone. Peter three times. I don't know him. You know, the way I read the Bible, Judas, what Judas did was terrible, to be sure. What Peter did was just as bad, and what the rest of them did was just as bad. They turned their back on their Lord. Just turned their back. He was betrayed. Who the chief priest, the guy that ought to know better, is the one that's going to cause all the trouble. The guy that ought to know better, the chief priest who knows the scripture, he knows every verse, the, every prophecy in the Old Testament about the Messiah. This guy knows better than anybody. So the chief priests and the scribes who actually write that scripture down every day, they're also called the lawyers. They know how to interpret the scripture. They will condemn me to death. Those guys are the ones that are going to condemn him. Because you know Jesus was guilty as soon as he left those priests. I, I, have you ever heard of a kangaroo court? This is the kangarooest court you can find, okay? He was guilty when he showed up. Before they ever said a word. Guilty. But what do they do? They don't have the legal authority to put him to death, especially the death they want. They don't have the legal authority to do that. And then he'll be delivered to the Gentiles. Unbelievers. See, we can put it on those unbelievers. The interesting thing is that after Pentecost, when the apostles go out into the world to, to do the mission work to establish the church, they went to the Gentiles. That was where most of it was done. But I'm going to be turned over to them, and I'll be mocked and scourged. You've seen, I know if, if you saw that movie, The Passion of the Christ, one of the worst scenes in the entire movie is the beating that he had to endure and crucified. Remember Deuteronomy? Jesus just said to them, and they understood it this way, I will be cursed by the Father because they're going to crucify me. They understood that. I hope you do. I hope you understand what Jesus went through on the cross. Crucified. And then rise on the third day. Rise on the third day. That'll be suicide. That'll tire people up. I mean, there's anything that ought to motivate us to serve the Lord. You know, you, you know, if you read back through church history and world history and all of the religious leaders throughout history, I, I mean, all the way back, you know, Buddha, <laughs> Muhammad, all of, nobody died in rows. None of them, except Jesus. He died, and just like he said 21 times, rose on the third day, came out of the tomb. 
He rose. He's alive today, ascended to the Father with a promise that one day he'll return. He lives right now and has his eyes on you. He's alive. He lives today. And that's what being a Christian is about. And, for, and folks, all of this that I've talked about today happened because he went to a cross and became sin for us. It's the difference between Jesus and all other religious leaders in, in history. All of them. He rose from the dead. I shared with you that, that not long ago I heard a woman uh, who I'm really praying for. She asked the question in a, in a Bible study group. She said, I don't understand why I need to be forgiven of anything. Well, here's a simple answer to that question. Number one, until you're forgiven, you're the one that's cursed. You're cursed by God because you have a rebellious, sinful heart, and you, you, you are cursed by him. You're lost, dead in your sin, and you have to be forgiven because until that sin is, you've got no hope. But someone came, Jesus, the Son of God, came and was cursed by the Father and became your sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us and was cursed by the Father but rose on the third day unlike anyone before or since. That's why, that's why I need to be forgiven, and that's why there was a cross. Let's pray. Lord, when we see the truth of the cross and what it represents and what it means, when we see why it happened, Understand that it happened because your son came to seek and to save that which was lost, and that includes us. Father, all we can do is give our lives to you and live to serve and bring glory to you. Lord, forgive us where we've sinned. Help us to repent, to turn away from our sin, and to serve you, Lord, and to follow you wherever you lead us. Do whatever you call us to do. Lord, help us to each day examine our lives and to turn away from the sin that, that gets a hold of us and won't let go. We ask, Lord, that you would deliver us, cleanse us, and forgive us. Lord, for that one today who has not trusted you and have faith in what was done and completed on the cross, our prayers today that you would speak there to yourself. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.